0: Our Father, we are so blessed to be close to you, so blessed that your spirit lives within our bodies and connects us to you, God Almighty, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and to the man who is at your your right hand, seated and enthroned in glory, the man who has lived the perfect and pure life and he offered it to you on the cross at Calvary. The man who is raised, honored and glorified and sits at your right hand. Father, we are awaiting you to send him your command when he will come in power and authority. And we are praying for that day As we thought this morning, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And here we are, Father, as another year ticks on and we wait. And we know that one day the trumpet will sound. The Lord himself will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And until that day, Father, we will feast upon your word and we will live a life to please you and we will reach out to support and help one another in our most holy faith. And Father, we'll reach out to those who as yet have not known Jesus and we'll present the gospel day by day in different ways, reaching some, snatching brands from the burning. We are privileged, Almighty God, to be part of your great family and part of your great army. So bless us through the word this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My water somewhere there, yeah. Thank you. Well, you were in 1 Peter, and if you go back these weeks when you were in 1 Peter and started it, You'll remember that Peter, writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ, was writing to the pilgrims of the diaspora, or the dispersion, as it's called in the New King James, the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Isabatynia. And and you know this is a book that's essentially, first and foremost, is written to people in the diaspora. Who would they be? They're Jews who believe in Jesus. That's the first target audience of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Jewish people who've gotten saved. And you must remember that in the first century of Christianity, 1 BC, at 1 AD, that from the beginning of the church in, let's call it, 33 AD until mm, 90 AD, 90% of the people who believed in Jesus were Jewish. And it's estimated that of the first million believers in Jesus Christ, 900,000 were Jewish. It's not a surprise. I'm just giving you a little fact before we go on into 2 Peter same writer same apostleship 2 Peter chapter 1 we'll read the first 11 verses Simon Peter a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given which, which in which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that was in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. But if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Just let me sort myself out here a little bit. When Peter was writing, it's really quite amazing because Peter is a fairly uneducated man in the things of this world. He's not scholarly. Peter doesn't have a PhD But Peter writes something that not only has lasted until 2018, not only has been read over and studied by thousands upon thousands of scholars, but Peter has been used of God to add two sections to the eternal word. This is never going to fade away, never going to be out of date never going to be reduced. This is God's eternal word. And this bashed up old fisherman from Galilee has written part of God's word. This is the chap that denied Jesus three times and of course was restored. This is the chap that went and cut someone's ear off. Jesus put it back on. This is the chap that said the wrong thing. Hey, we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is in his glory. Moses is here. Elijah is here. I tell you what, why don't we make three tabernacles? (laughs) You know, I, I feel just I'm like one of these kind of guys. I'm like Peter. Speak first, think later, you know. And here God has taken this man and given him apostleship. There are no apostles today in the sense of the New Testament with a capital A. There are people who are itinerant, who move around and teach and preach. Nothing special about them, but that's what apostleship is. It's an itinerant preacher of God's word. And he's one of those. But he calls himself something else. Simon Peter, and before he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, He says he's a bond servant, a bond servant, bound in service to Christ. It's a better word than slave, but slavery, uh, a self-inflicted slavery, a slavery by choice, and it's difficult to put that into a few words, and bond servant is better. And you pick this up, of course. Remember, he's writing to Jewish people who go click, 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 bond servant. Ah, that must be Exodus 21. (laughs) They might not have known it, of course, by the um, uh, chapter references that we do. But they would know that it was in the book of Exodus because that's where the Hebrew servant, in such a relationship with his master, where his master has loved him, His master has provided for him. His master has helped him. And he, in service to his master, has found fullness of satisfaction of heart. He has known what it is in service to his master to be completely satisfied. And so he has his ear pierced through with an awl to the doorpost of the master's house. And he's a bond servant forever. You can read it yourself, it's Exodus 21, the first six to seven verses. And we get the song from that, don't we, that we sometimes sing, Pierce my ear, O Lord, you know that song? And that's a bond servant. So here is one who has made emphasis on his relationship with Jesus that is forever, that's a commitment he has voluntarily made, Pierce my ear, Lord. And he goes on to say, it's to those who have obtained like precious faith, faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They have obtained or they have had allotted to them, received a, like, a faith of the same value. Okay? So the faith that Peter has is the faith that his, writers, that his hearers have. And that has to be important in a meeting like this, that the faith that I have to give the word has to be responded to by the faith that you have to receive the word. There's no point in us coming to having a meeting where we're sharing the word of God if I've got any faith to give it to you and I am just boringly reading some sermon notes, right? Or alternatively, where I'm giving my all and you're enjoying a half-hour snooze, you know? (laughs) It's got to be reciprocal. And so here with Peter, he sees that there's a value in faith, meeting with faith, there's a value in the faith that they have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And interestingly, he slips something else in here for us that I like. I'm always on the lookout to destroy liberals. I'm always on the lookout for verses... That that take apart the liberal view of Jesus. He was just a man. Or alternatively, that you know, as it says on the Quran, that he couldn't be the Son of God, because God has no Son. And it says very clearly here to those who have obtained or received a light precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Of our God and Savior jesus christ so what's he saying about jesus christ he's saying that jesus is god anybody that denies it any jw that comes i usually tell them they've got demons and they have to leave but uh, i need to be more gracious but but any jw that comes knock 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 and refuses to see the deity point that out to them our god and our saviour Praise God, he is God. Praise God, he is our Savior. You have to say at least once in any message to believers, are you not glad to be saved? Is it not more wonderful than all your possessions or all your status or all your achievements or all your academic degrees or whatever it is that we have, is being saved not more precious? Having a Savior and we have a savior and he says here that the precious faith was obtained a light precious faith by the righteousness of the lord jesus christ our god and our savior it's his righteousness that has brought these things to us it's the fact that from out of the first cry when he came out of the womb right through to his ascension into glory, he was perfectly righteous. Everything that God wanted, this man did. Everything that would satisfy the heart of Almighty God, and that is a high standard. Everything that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, ever did, satisfied and pleased. The head of the universe, Yahweh the Creator. And he was righteous. Now that's marvelous. That's jaw-droppingly amazing. That's awesome. That such a righteousness could be achieved by a human being. What is equally amazing is that that righteousness that was his in the credit of heaven, that God would look in the records of this man, Jesus' life, and that there would be seen in the record of his life a righteousness so great that it could be transferred and cover the unrighteousness of every human being that ever lived, if they would choose. The means by which it was transferred to us is by his blood, by the life that he had. The scripture is clear, the life is in the blood. In Hebrew, the words are the same, to say the soul is in the blood. And he shed that, that that perfect righteous life might be credited to us. So do cheer up, dear friends. God looks on us as righteous. And he has done from the moment that you gave your life to Christ. And he'll not take it away. He sees you as righteous. Then he goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's a really good verse in comparison with the one before. Because the one before says, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus is God, his deity. This verse says the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So it shows that although he is God, the second person of the Trinity, there is a distinction between him in his person as Jesus Christ and God, Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, the God of the universe. And Peter, of course, Again, when we think writing to Hebrew people is, of course, keen to put that into the scripture. Because that, while well, he's not knowing into his letter, he's not knowing it's going to be scripture. Because that, of course, is so important to teach Jewish people, first, that Jesus is God. And secondly, that although Jesus is God, and it's difficult to understand, there is a trinity he is the second person in the Trinity. And, of course, grace and peace are not just added to us. Hey, you're getting on all right, but you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you some grace, and I'm going to give you some peace. I'd be grateful for that. But he says they're going to be multiplied. So continually, on, I'll start over here, ongoing, continually, God, throughout your whole life, is supplying you with grace and with peace just ask ask and you will receive do you want peace in your life the answer is of course yes we do you want peace in your life he will multiply it to you do you want grace ongoing in your life to be gracious to others something that is in your heart It's one thing receiving and expecting the grace of God. It's another thing having that grace in your heart and extending it to others who are around you, especially when they are somewhat troublesome. But it is to be done. And God's Spirit is there that it should be multiplied. How? By the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus. And where do we get our knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus from? the word if it were near the Christmas season it's not but I'm going to tell you anyway (laughs) I would say to you do not get your understanding of the Christmas account from the carols there's a lot of stuff in the carols that are a load of nonsense it's not factual you know Who ever said, you know, that Jesus cried in the manger? No, nothing. Never said that in the Bible. And all sorts of things that are in the Bible, some of which are separated by two years or more, are condensed into the one carol, and we think they're all at the same time. And so we need to be very particular that the knowledge of God we get is from the Scriptures. There are some very, very fine hymns and songs, but they're not to be the source of our knowledge of God. There are preachers and teachers, and it's good to listen to them, including even me. But you get your knowledge of God directly from the Word of God. And you need to check out me and anyone else that you listen to against the Word of God. So you need to know it. There's only one way to know it. It's to read it, to, read it to read it and 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 to read it forever until he comes. You need to be in the word. I still know from my own experience that God will speak in an extempore way personally to you. It should Normally in those circumstances, it's not about doctrine. It's not about truth. It's about your personal life. But that is not how you find out what God is like. You need to know what God is like, who he is, how he behaves, how he speaks, what he has to say, what his standards are, before you think of any other means of communication that God might have to man. He may speak to you through circumstances. He may speak to you through a little text. I'm thinking of a man from up in Wensleydale. He'll be an old man now because he was a middle-aged man when I knew him when I was young. And he was driving on the M1. And there was a text on the back of a bus. And he got stuck behind that bus, and he couldn't get out for quite a bit. So he got that text backwards and forwards. And God spoke to him through the lines of that text. And he drove into the next services and parked up and bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to be his saviour, and then started off and got back home to Wensleydale. And he followed the Lord Jesus. It was a real, genuine conversion experience. And I met him some years later when... Some of you ever heard of a a, a York evangelist called David Watson? Well, David took myself and a couple of others with him to, to give our testimonies, a meeting a big house meeting up there it was a meeting in a big house <laughs> and this guy came he came to and he gave his testimony but you know the place to hear is not about you No, know, I love testimonies testimonies are important but you don't necessarily learn much about God from testimony you learn about the testifier a lot and it's a good thing I'm not criticizing testimony I'm willing to give mine, and I love to hear testimony. But you learn about God. Your knowledge of God comes from the word. So enough about that. I'll move on. Um, Next verse. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now that's interesting. His divine power. How does he do it? The practical nature of divine power is to bring all things that pertain to righteousness, to godliness, into our lives. So how do we get this divine power? What is this divine power? Well, we should look somewhere else in the Bible. It's always good to look at one verse through the lens of another, isn't it? And you want to know about the divine power? Let me read to you from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, because we will see that the divine power is not a force, it's not some kind of spiritual electricity, it is a person. Sorry, I've got the wrong Bible here. (laughs) No, no, I'll stick with this. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he Jesus, that is, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait from the, for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You have heard from me." For John truly baptized with water, baptized with water, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And now in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Matthew, Mark, Luke 24 and 49, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The power that we want, the power to live in a holy and godly way, comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not around for people on platforms to do some kind of magic tricks with. Do you understand? Make people fall over or whatever. I would rather, if they were, if if I would believe more in it, if having made the people fall over, they were then able to supernaturally make them stand up. (laughs) But they don't. You want to discard that nonsense because the kind of power that you want and we all need in this church and throughout Bradford and elsewhere is power to live in a holy way. What kind of spirit is the spirit of God, the Ruach Kadesh of the Old Testament? How is he described? What is the primary adjective that describes him? The holy spirit he is there to bring holiness separation to god purity of thought and action generosity and kindness love forgiveness in our hearts to those who offend us he's there to bring christ likeness in our lives he is the holy spirit I am described and would self-describe myself, my friends would call me, um, a post-charismatic. I've been into the whole charismatic movement, was involved in various things for many years. And then when it went belly up and things became really ungodly, I was given by the grace of God means to get away and get out of the thing and I have remained out of it. I would still describe myself as someone who is a product of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit. He lives in my body. But I'm not desiring power to do some kind of showing off ministry. I'm desiring power in my life to live in a way that pleases the Father the way the life of the Lord Jesus pleased the Father. And if you desire that, and seek that, you will get that. You will get holiness. Not a lot of religious laws to live by. Don't go out and buy an ice cream on a Sunday. That kind of stuff. That's not holiness. Holiness is a deep power and working of the Holy Spirit within us. Ready to do what the Father commands us. Which may be to go out to an ice cream parlor on a Sunday where you may well meet with someone and reach them for Jesus Christ. Don't live by laws. Live by the leading of the Holy Spirit, his divine power. And I love that phrase, the promise of the Father. Contained in that phrase, the promise of the Father is all that he wants you to be. He promises X, Y, and Z for you, and it's the Holy Spirit that delivers on the promise. What's he promised us? Oh, he's promised us eternal life. He's promised us to live forever. That's what he's promised us. Who's going to live forever in this room? Won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll tell you, I know I'm going to live forever. I happen to know my wife is going to live forever. Are you going to live forever? Have you got eternal life? If you say yes, praise the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit who will work it out. He is the executive of the Godhead, the third person in the Trinity, and he gets the job done. He is enormously powerful because there are, I don't know, however many million human beings from Adam to this very moment, they are going to have eternal life. And he is the one who is going to supply and control it. He gives us daily provision in this life. Our God has made great and glorious promises to us. Some of them are conditional on our walking in fellowship with him. If you don't walk in fellowship with him, don't expect him to invite you. To, don't expect him to invite you to lunch. You understand what I mean by that. Walk close with the Lord, and He will give you all that you need. Go off away from the Lord, and think that you can live life better. Don't expect the invitation to lunch. What you will get is a continual nagging, if I might use that phrase from the Holy Spirit, saying to you, "Come back, come back, come back. Get sorted out." I love you, I love you, come back, come back, get sorted out. I love you, come back, come back, come back. He won't give up on that. You'll come back and you know what? He'll shower gifts and benefits upon you. You know the story of the prodigal, don't you? The Holy Spirit directs us to whom? Who does the Holy Spirit point us to? Himself? Does he say, hey, come to me, the Holy Spirit? No, he does not. Each divine person is in harmony and inequality, but they have chosen an order and structure of relationship that God Almighty, Yahweh the Creator, the head of all things, as I said this morning, I have no, uh, I see nowhere in the Scripture where he ever leaves heaven. God we know as the Father. The second person of the Godhead is the, Holy, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third person is the Holy Spirit. So he points to the Lord Jesus. It's his job to get you to have knowledge and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just walk with him in faith. He promises that he will feed you manna from heaven. But you've got to go to the feeding bowl. You've got to go to the buffet table. Here it is in my hand. This is how he will feed you. And he will feed you glorious things every day. This is not about being clever. This is about walking with him and hearing what he has to say. The promise of the Father. Yes, we have Christ himself as part of that promise. He gave us himself. When he went on to the cross and hung there, his whole life was given for us. That you and I might have that eternal life, He has promised us heaven, where I'm going, you're coming. Then they say that no, where I go, I'll prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Who do you want living with you? Only the people you love. Yeah. I love to live with my wife, but living with my mother-in-law would be a completely different story. <laughs> I cannot say it. it's funny, but but, it, but I don't think the Lord would approve the next, so I'll blank it out. But you and I are invited to go and live with him. So he loves us, doesn't he? I'm going away from here. I'm going to a place. I'm preparing a place for you so that we can be together. Oh, that's good. I just want to be with Jesus, don't you? I want to be with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has given me Such an introduction to him. Such an aperitif for that life. You know, a taster. I long to be with him. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit Himself, has come into this body. Don't know exactly where He is in this body, probably from the tip of the toes to the crown of my head. But the Holy Spirit is in here. And you know what? It's the promise of the Father He's my helper. My counselor, my comforter, my guide. That's what he is to you. He's in you. He's all of these things to you. You need help, he'll help. You need comfort, and we do so often, he'll comfort. You need guidance, he'll guide and he'll counsel. Personally, he will work with your spirit and soul. He will work with you. To make you like the Lord Jesus. Let's move on. The next verse. This is interesting. Sorry, I'll need to get the page back again. Matthew to Peter 1. He's called us through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given great and exceeding promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. So we've been given wonderful promises by God, excessive, abundant, amazing. It will take all eternity to fulfill these promises. And yes, I know I'm speaking just to a very ordinary group of people from Bradford. But God has made promises to you and to very ordinary people in towns and cities and villages throughout the world, and he's called us to an eternal life that will be full of life and experience of him and will be full, absolutely full, of activity. That's what we're heading towards. Exceedingly great and precious promises that you might be partakers of the divine nature. You're never going to be God. Or what some religious American said, we'll all be little gods. No, we will not be little gods. We will be little humans who have been di- died and dead and raised or alternatively translated alive and brought into the presence of God and in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, will live with him, with the Lord Jesus, forever. We are those people who, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, are going to the eternal realm, through the millennium and into the eternal realm. And we will walk with and work with Almighty God. And what we will be made like him in his nature is morally like him. Do you understand? A moral purity and holiness in our lives. You're going to be one day completely holy and pure and incapable of sin. If you're a believer, if you're already a believer, that's what's ahead of you. A sinless millennial life and a sinless eternal life. And maybe we have to explain that for some of you who might not understand. Millennial, being, meaning a thousand. A thousand years reign with Christ on earth, which when it is terminated, we'll go into the detail of that some other time, but when it is terminated, we move into what's known as the eternal realm. And it's perfect, and it's beyond description. So you and I are partakers of his divine nature morally, We become like Jesus, and you can see he then starts to work on what that's going to mean. Because all that I'm going to read in the next few verses is what Jesus is like. Let's look at it like this. Great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The interesting reference in the original Greek there to lust is continuous common panting. It's a, it's a weird collection of words. Translated lust. Unfortunately, we use that word in a very narrow form, but it just means the constant need to satisfy personal desires. And As unbelievers, that's what we did. It was a corrupt world. And in that corrupt world, we looked after ourselves, didn't we? Self was what mattered. It was about personal satisfaction. And we've escaped from that. We've been transferred, the scripture says, from the kingdom of darkness, because that's what it's talking about, into the kingdom of light. And in the kingdom of light we've got something very wonderful because we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence now, he says, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. We're going to look at that just in a second when I deal with the word diligence. What we need in the church is diligence, not intelligence. In the... 1830s, 40s and into the mid 1800s there came from Europe, from Germany in particular so called Bible scholarship from people who were named and named themselves as the higher critics they were liberal they were ungodly and the majority of them were unsaved men They had reputations, they had titles, they were in the best universities, and they were out to destroy the literal truth of the word of God, and they have been very, very successful. It goes back to the higher critics from Germany, but it rolls on into the 20th century and into the denominational colleges and even into evangelical colleges a liberalism that denies the truth of the word of god it's not everywhere in evangelical colleges let me say that for a clear statement but the bulk of the church of jesus christ where people are going to seminaries be it catholic or protestant they are being taught a liberal view of the bible So you do not believe in the incarnation as real, the virgin birth isn't real, six-day creation, you certainly wouldn't believe in the six-day creation. Furthermore, you wouldn't believe in the truth of the second coming, in real judgment, and then you finally decide that there's no Satan, no such person as Satan, it's just a concept, and then after that, well, you've already decided that Jesus isn't God. Do you see the direction that they all go? And it's a slippery slope, and they all go down the slippery slope. That's where intelligence, when related to the word of God, takes man. Now, I'm not decrying the study of the word of God. I had to be able to read and write to do what I do. And all others that do the same have had to. But it's taking a secular way and perception of looking at things and applying it to the scripture. That is modern 21st century apostasy, a departure from the truth. So God's not looking for intelligence, but he's looking for, as our sister said, daily reading the word, being in the word daily and reading it and applying it and thinking about it and going to the concordance and comparing scripture with scripture and reading good godly books too, but keep as a good Berean in the word of God. That's diligence. So he says, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. That's Jesus. More than that is Jesus, but that is at the very least The character of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be like Jesus? Peter has laid it out step by step. Because he knows that we're not capable of assuming it all. In fact, to be like Jesus is a lifetime pursuit. We're different ages here. To those who are younger, I say be encouraged and keep going. Persevere. To those who are older, I say, keep going and persevere. Because the Lord himself is at work by the Holy Spirit to make us like him. This wonderful verse in 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes, He's going to have everybody blameless without blame. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Now, if you'd taught me something told me something like that when many years ago, I think it might have been a weight that burdened that I couldn't carry but to tell me it and to say, he who is faithful, he'll do it in you. Wow, that's a teaching I want. And I lean back on him, and I trust the spirit of the living God to do in me, to do in me what he has promised, a great and exceedingly wonderful promise to make me like Jesus. I only want to be like Jesus. That's all that matters in my personal life. And I trust it's all that people who come out on a Sunday night to a meeting like this want to be more like Jesus. I know that. People who come out on a Sunday night to any kind of gathering that doesn't have a band playing for two hours really want to get to grip with God's word. That's what it's about. Let's move on as I see time is running away with us. Look at verse eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barrenness and unfruitfulness is again a Hebrew subject. If you were a barren woman and could not produce children, and we see this with um, Rachel, and we see it with uh, Hannah in the Old Testament, and Elizabeth in the New Testament. A barren woman was treated as one who was under a curse. That was the view. Barrenness was a curse. To be delivered from barrenness and unfruitfulness was to receive a blessing. And so the great blessing that fell on Ruth because she had been married probably for 10 years, had not produced any children, then her husband dies, and then Naomi takes her back to Israel and Bethlehem, and then she meets Boaz, and Boaz says to her, you are a virtuous woman, a woman of virtue, and a woman of virtue is going to be a fruitful woman, and Ruth conceives, and Ruth's child Way down the line becomes an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what I call (laughs) fruitfulness. All the way down to Jesus. Through King David, that's fruitfulness. There's a sense in which you are a virtuous woman fulfills that passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 is it, that the church will be presented to Jesus Christ um, as, as, as perfect, without spot or wrinkle. That's virtuous woman. Okay? And so as we look at this passage here, we don't want to be barren women, do we? We want to have children. We want to, our lives to be fruitful. We want our lives to be part of that chain of evangelism where eventually somewhere along the chain, somebody gets saved. You do not always need to be, evangelism isn't, being, isn't just being at the last bit of the chain where the person gives their life to Christ. You listen back to testimonies, you will find that there were many incidents. A few weeks ago I met a lady, a strange lady, tall, wearing boots, for, I think they were motorcycling boots, Quite a lot of metal around. Hair very high up. I'm trying here dreadlocks, thank you, darling. Dreadlock's the colour of a pillar box, right? I mean, yes, the colour of that lady at the back in the red there, you will have the colour of her hair. <laughs> and we happened to be on a ferry. I saw her at night and thought, Oh my goodness. And then in the morning while Jilly was getting my breakfast at the buffet there she was sitting so i wheeled up to her and i said i'd like to speak to you if you would speak to me for a minute oh yes she said nice to talk to you i said i want to tell you that god loves you unconditionally and that jesus died for you and he loves you Um, and i said it doesn't matter whether who has loved you nobody loves you like him not your mum, not your dad, not your boyfriend. She interjected, oh, girlfriend. I said, not your girlfriend. I wasn't going to deal with that issue then. Not your girlfriend, no. Nobody loves you like Jesus. And we spoke for a bit. And then she said, oh, somebody like you has spoken to me before and told me I need to repent. I said, God will deal with you about repentance. I, My job today is to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you and that he died for you. And then, you know, I'm a bit of a train spotter. Lo and behold, it transpires. So was she. Wasn't that interesting? We chatted about trains, and then my breakfast came and I had to go. Later, Jilly gave her a little note of my blog, and later, she, after that, when we were getting off, she wished me a happy holiday. Now, I'm just a link in the chain, and somebody else had just been a link in the chain. So you don't need to be the person that's there when they sign up with God. Just... Testify of the gospel and the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus. Just talk of the second coming and the nearness of his return. Just talk of the love of God and the dreadful sin of the world, but God's willingness to forgive. Just talk of Jesus. And when we do that, God will work. For he who lacks, and this is the final bit, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. That's Laodicea. They're blind. They're short-sighted. They're blind. Come to me, for I solve, Jesus says, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You're believers, and you're behaving. If you're not behaving in this godly, fruitful way, then you're blind. You've gone back, and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. What a tragedy. What a tragedy having been saved to get out of fellowship with God and live a miserable life. He's got everything that pertains to life and godliness sealed up in this book and opened for you and for me. Is that not worth everything? Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure that if you do these things you will never stumble make sure you are saved being saved doesn't just mean being in an evangelical church you know being saved isn't just out of the mouth it's out of the mouth the heart speaks there's got to be a work in your heart and I trust there is But it behoves me with the scripture saying, make your call and your election sure to emphasize that to you. Have a little personal audit. I'm always full of doubt. Am I really saved? I always get trapped going back into this particular lifestyle and sin. Am I really saved? The object isn't to bring you under guilt or condemnation, far be it, but the object is to make sure that you are truly saved. For the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Be more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. A big entrance. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The king of glory will come in, and he'll bring you in with him. To you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom isn't sitting in rows like this, listening to a speaker, at least not much. His kingdom is an active place where relationships of the most glorious joy join together as we work to serve our glorious King and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your all-sufficiency, Lord, and your provision. We have a Father that we have, the Son who died for us, and we have... The presence of your Holy Spirit equally is important, equally God. We thank you for that God and, and we thank you Lord that with the calling you've given each one of us we're called to just continue to trust in you, to not allow condemnation to overtake us, to not allow distractions to overtake us but just to be near to you God and we thank you for the word tonight, we pray we'd take it home with us, that you'd help us to think about it and also talk about it lord help us to share the things we're learning and that's how we fellowship god so um holy spirit would you continue to move amongst us even as we finish here just in in being ourselves just in in walking and and just uh, living and breathing holy spirit please be be amongst us and be filling us and be in us jesus we thank you for tonight in jesus name amen